When Colorado Springs elected its new mayor on May 16th, people around the state and country were paying attention. A political shocker out of Colorado Springs tonight. Residents voted overwhelmingly last night to make Yemi Mobilade the city's next mayor. He won the runoff election by nearly 19,000 votes, a 15% split between him and conservative heavyweight Wayne Williams. The mayor-elect is the first mayor not affiliated with the Republican Party since Colorado Springs started electing mayors 45 years ago. Breaking the conservative stronghold Republicans have had on the city. Yemi Mobilati's victory was something that even many local residents weren't expecting. I was actually surprised. Really felt like this runoff, he would probably lose. It did not happen. Well, it's a huge change in El Paso County. Colorado Springs voters picked an unaffiliated political newcomer for mayor. A Nigerian immigrant, businessman, and church founder. This is our win. Yeah. This is our win. We are Colorado Springs. We are Colorado Springs. Now that Yemi's mayor, we just need to rally around what he stood for. Mobilade will lead a city grappling with how to sustainably manage growth and development, high housing costs, and is challenged by worn out infrastructure and concerns about public safety. His decisive victory has Republicans debating their party's best path forward trying to understand what went wrong and figuring out how best to work with this new leader. It's going to be new for Colorado Springs, and I hope it's a sign. This is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and policy, and for this episode, the Colorado Springs mayoral election. I'm Benta Berkland, and joining me is my colleague, Andrea Chelfin, the managing editor of KRCC in Colorado Springs. We're here to break down the mayor's race, why it matters, and whether it marks a sea change for a traditionally conservative city. We'll also talk about the forces that led to Yemi Mobilade's triumph, why voters turned to him over his opponent, Republican Wayne Williams, a longtime force in local government. And what you'll hear in all of this are the many reasons why this victory is more nuanced than it may first appear. So, Andrea, let's start with Colorado Springs itself. This is a city that I think has long been known here in Colorado and really around the country as this conservative bastion. Yeah, and there are a few reasons for that. Among them, it's the hometown for the National Evangelical Organization, Focus on the Family. It's also a very military town, and there's a strong libertarian history here as well. So that all adds up to some fairly red politics. Colorado Springs and El Paso County do have a huge influence on Republican politics across Colorado. So El Paso County sends the most Republican state lawmakers to the Capitol also contributes the largest delegation to state GOP conventions. And then when Colorado really was purple, now we're purple-ish, but when when it was a deep purple, it was really those Republican votes in the Colorado Springs area that helped keep it that way by counterbalancing more liberal parts of the state. Right, but I would say that just because it's been safely Republican does not mean everyone has the same views. I mean, when you look at our elected officials, they tend to come from the more middle-of-the-road traditional establishment. 
but there are a lot of grassroots folks here too who are pretty far right. So for instance, local officials never really got on board with the whole Stop the Steal movement, but one group supposedly searching for voter fraud is actually headquartered here. So given that context, Andrea, Give us the general story of the Colorado Springs mayoral race for those listeners outside of the Springs who maybe haven't really been following it. Well, the first thing to know is that it started out as a wide open field. Um, The current mayor is term limited and a dozen people got into the race to try and replace him. So it was pretty clear that it wasn't going to be decided in the general election, that it would actually go to a runoff. And that's because you need 50 plus one to avoid the runoff, right? Yeah, I mean, you need to have more than 50% of the vote to win out of the general election. How would you describe this field of a dozen candidates? 11 of them were Republicans. Uh, There were a handful of truly viable candidates, including a number of people who have served in local government in the past. And then you had Yemi Mobolade, who was an unaffiliated businessman who has never been in politics before. He was different from the rest of the field. So you were following this. How surprised were you by by the two candidates who made this runoff, Mobilade and Williams? I wasn't all that surprised. You know, Mobilade was the only Mm non-Republican. I certainly expected him to do well with voters who don't lean as right. It was a little bit harder to pin down which of the Republicans would get the most votes. But Wayne Williams was certainly a safe guess. He just recently was a city councilman, former secretary of state, former county clerk, former county commissioner. People in this area have known Wayne Williams for a really long time. So fair to say the real surprise here wasn't who made the runoff, but just how this runoff turned out. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people, including myself, assumed that, you know, once it was down to two candidates, voters would coalesce around the Republican. But as we know, that didn't happen. Hey, and then you get to be on Purplish, and that's why we're talking about it today. So here we have it, a city with a national conservative identity with a long history of Republican politics. And the big question, how did it come to elect a man who is not a Republican and who, at least on the surface, goes against some of those stereotypes of the region? There are a lot of different and interesting answers to those questions. We'll be getting to that in this episode, but I think we should start with what's been going on with Republicans in the region in the last few years, because I do think it's fair to say it played a very big role here. And one big thing is that there's a huge amount of infighting. Benta, I know you've covered this quite a bit. And as I understand it, a lot of it boils down to controversy around the county party chair, Vicki Tonkins. Definitely that plays a part of this. Tonkins has led the El Paso County Party for four years, and she was recently elected to another two-year term. There have been calls for her to resign or be voted out of office since at least 2020. Initially, it was because she suggested online that the COVID pandemic was a psychological operation. But then there have been accusations of financial mismanagement, intimidation, and allegations that she's just not supporting Republican candidates. She did just win re-election, though. And on her side, there have been efforts to censor and basically push out Republicans that she and her allies view as disloyal to the party. So it's been a really acrimonious, dysfunctional situation. And when you talk about this split, Wayne Williams, he's in the opposite camp, along with a lot of other local Republican elected officials. Do you think that that may have hurt him in the mayor's race? 
I definitely think so. A local party should be a source of support for a candidate. Making phone calls, knocking on doors, all of the things you associate with a campaign. So it's really hard to think that this bitter split between the chair and officials like Williams didn't hurt that effort. Tonkins did send an email backing Williams in the runoff, but also immediately after Williams loses, the county party releases a statement saying they didn't have a strong conservative candidate that Republicans could unite behind. And the local GOP blamed apathy from some Republicans for this loss. Whoa, so wait, wait, let me get this straight. So as soon as he loses, the chair of the El Paso County Republican Party blames Williams for the loss. Yeah. Do you think that that divide actually went down to the voter level? Like the most conservative Republican voters may have just held onto their ballots and not been able to cast them for Williams. I haven't seen the breakdown, but I was talking to some people who were looking at comments on Facebook and they said that was certainly happening because Wayne Williams has a long history in that county. So a lot of people agree with Vicki Tonkins and they just weren't going to vote, period. And the other factor at play here for some of these more conservative voters is that Williams is a major defender of the state's election integrity, the security of the voting system. Mm -hmm. He oversaw all-male voting when the state moved to that. He believes in the reliability of Dominion voting systems. And so for Republican-based voters who think the election was stolen from Donald Trump, he's probably not someone they trust or like at this point because within the state party, Williams may be the most vocal opponent to that idea, saying, look, Colorado has safe, secure elections and look at the audits. These things that you're talking about, I mean, some of it is certainly specific to Colorado Springs and the whole fight with the party chair, for instance. But the new state party chair, Dave Williams, is from El Paso County. He's been sort of on the Vicki Tonkin side of things. Does this also have implications for the statewide GOP? I think so. For one thing, El Paso County is the largest Republican county in the state. So if the party isn't working well there, it has implications and it can damage things statewide. And when I was at the Wayne Williams watch party on election night, I talked to several longtime Republicans and one of them was a man named Don Kidd. And right after the results came in, he said he thinks these Republican divides are, and you kind of pointed to this, Andrea, a much bigger problem than just what's happening in Colorado Springs. It's disappointing that uh, the conservatives can't come together and, and with one single voice. We have got to do that in the future. I mean, it's tearing us apart in Washington. It tears us apart across the country. And we just can't seem to figure that out. And it's disappointing to me. So basically, if the party can't support candidates, regardless of how conservative they may be or moderate, Republicans are going to have a lot of trouble winning races. Yeah, that's definitely true. But it is important to note when you talk about the forces that really drove this race here in Colorado Springs, there was a lot going on. And this intra-party fight is only part of it. I mean, Wayne Williams is a longtime figure in the Republican Party uh, locally and on the state level, clearly on the more moderate side of things. He's also been a local official for the past four years, and that comes with some baggage, too. One thing I was spared, since I don't live in Colorado Springs, was all of these attack ads that came with this mayoral race. So I, I can count my blessings there, I guess. But yeah. you had this general election when you had 12 candidates fighting for votes. And because Wayne Williams was one of the front runners, he definitely got hit by a lot of these attack ads. 
It's interesting because I asked the Williams campaign about it, and they said those ads really hurt him. Um, by the time he did make it to the runoff, he was underwater with voters. I mean, they thought like 25 points down. Wow. And they believe that some of those ads just frankly made it impossible for him to recover. And that kind of goes back a bit to this idea that, you know, Republicans didn't really help each other. They had to attack each other so that somebody would come out in first or second place. Remember, other than Mobilade, all the other candidates were Republicans. So they were the ones attacking Williams. What was the content of those attacks? You know, what are they really trying to go after Williams for? Well, Williams was on city council. And he was really hammered over his support for this controversial new water ordinance aimed at ensuring there's enough water for future developments. I mean, Mm. we're all live in Colorado and we're all concerned about water and we're all concerned about growth. People critical of the ordinance say that it basically gave one developer a big advantage. And those folks accused Williams of being too cozy with that developer. You know, Williams straight up denied it. But yeah, for some voters, his time on city council and his actions there may have really counted against him. Andrea, I also wanted to ask you about another factor here that played a role, and that's the only woman in the race. Her name is Sally Clark. She served on city council. She'd been a county commissioner. She's a longtime Republican in the area, just like Williams. She's not part of this far-right faction. But how did her being in this race impact things for Williams since those two were so close? Only about 1,500 votes separated Wayne Williams and Sally Clark. And, you know, this was a really big deal. When you get to the runoff, Sally Clark came out and endorsed Mobilade. She said she knew she could have stayed out of it, but in the end, she really did feel aligned with Mobilade. I did have folks that contacted me and said, you know, please don't do this. But at the same time, I had to do what was right in my heart. I had to do what I felt was right for our city long term. I felt that Yemi was more of an independent when it came to developer money. He hadn't taken dark money contributions. Quickly, I did want to go back to this Republican divide we talked about earlier between the more far right of the party and traditional Republicans. What's very interesting here to me is that Clark isn't part of that divide, or if she is, she's on Williams' side of it. So I think this is another blow to Williams because he may have lost far right voters given his positions on a stolen election, his opposition to the local county party chair. But then you have Clark another fairly middle-of-the-road traditional Republican, and some of her allies saying, actually, Mobilade is more our speed. And when I talked to Clark, she said some of her voters, at least, agreed with her decision to endorse Mobilade. They called her and they said, yes, we're going to back Mobilade, too. And, you know, these are Republicans. Yeah, and I remember when she endorsed Mobilade, she basically said that she didn't think that her voters would automatically go and vote for Mobilade. But she did say that she hoped that they would take another look. So that's pretty interesting. And when you look at Mobilade's margin of victory, it's pretty clear that he not only had Democrats and unaffiliates backing him, but also some Republicans. You know, I went to his watch party on election night, and it was one of the most diverse groups of people I've covered in all my years of living in Colorado Springs. How so? There were younger people there, older people there, you know, definitely a mix of race and ethnicity, also a number of people with different physical abilities, right? I mean, it really did cross all kinds of demographic lines, and I could tell that just on a visual scan of the room. Huh. 
that seems to go along with one of the other elements here. So we've been talking about a lot of issues among Republicans that helped propel Mobilade forward, some of the infighting and just disagreements on the GOP side. But even though maybe some of the national media overstated what this means for Colorado Springs, that is so much more liberal now, there is some truth to that. It is getting bluer. And that's exactly what Wayne Williams said when I talked to him on election night. This was after the results came in and he'd already conceded. I specifically said, what does it mean in terms of the political makeup of Colorado Springs itself? I haven't seen the actual breakout of who voted, but it's clear that Colorado Springs is less conservative than it used to be. When I was Republican chairman here, we had no Democratic state reps. Now we have three. So there are significant changes that have taken place. One detail that really sticks out to me is that you look at last year's election results for governor. Jared Polis actually won a majority of the votes in Colorado Springs, narrowly, but he beat his Republican challenger. So you can even see there that it's not just in the mayoral race. Republicans are not doing as well in the city. And one thing that I actually heard from the outgoing mayor, John Southers, Southers is a Republican, former state attorney general. You know, Southers really thinks this is a Trump problem. As long as Donald Trump is the face of the Republican Party, and I feel this very strongly, uh, the Republican Party will be in the wilderness. Um, any place where you need to rely on unaffiliated voters, in a place like Colorado, you cannot win. Even in El Paso County, you can't win without unaffiliated uh, su uh, voter support. Uh, unaffiliates have no use for Donald Trump. I heard that too, Andrea, from very, very strong Republicans, that they see this as a national party brand problem in Colorado, and that it's gone all the way down to local politics, even if the candidate, Wayne Williams, is not in that Trump faction of the party. But I, I do want to add a little dose of reality here. I mean, this does not mean that Colorado Springs is suddenly Denver or anything. I do think there's a, a drift uh, towards the left. It's... It, uh... It, but it's a slow drift. This is Josh Dunn, and he's a political science professor at UCCS. He told me he doesn't think that this election or Mobilade's win represents any kind of seismic shift in the actual politics of the city. And I still think that people will look back 10 to 20 years and say, yeah, Colorado Springs is still a kind of conservative place. Uh, but it's not like it was... You know, for a long time, El Paso County was the firewall that prevented a complete democratic takeover of the state, and that firewall failed. We've talked a lot about the different dynamics uh, around Republicans that may have led to their candidate losing this race. But now it is time to talk about Yemi Mobilade and what he did to win it. Friends, it's a new day in our beloved city. Do you believe that? Because I do. It's a new day. And tonight, we stand on a mountain of a new era in our city's history. Yes, Colorado Springs will become an inclusive, culturally rich, economically prosperous. Economically prosperous safe and vibrant city on a hill that shines brightly. Okay, Andrea, introduce us to Mobilade. What do people need to know about him? 
First off, he ran a really positive campaign. Mobilate's message focused on community building, and he ran on trying to bring a lot of different types of people together from various backgrounds. I mean, I talked earlier about his watch party on election night. He crossed a lot of demographic lines. One thing that we asked of candidates in the general election in April was what was the number one challenge facing the new mayoral administration? And most of them said something like public safety. Mm-hmm. He did say that, but he actually answered public leadership. Hmm. Interesting. I want government to be more transparent. I want government to be more accessible. I want the mayor's office to welcome voices from all neighborhoods. I want families from all pockets of the city to be represented. It's why I I put that fourth P, public leadership, because we cannot get anything done without good leadership. So that message of leadership and broadening the community, being inclusive, seemed to resonate with the, the voters I talked to after the election. They liked his campaign, his message, and that it was so positive. I think his marketing campaign was incredible. The people behind his marketing was just, uh, I mean, they were everywhere. They, I think, brought him out of being kind of unknown to being an advocate for the community. And one of the things that Yemi Mobilade championed in his acceptance speech was the positive campaign that they ran. And I talked with longtime businessman Richard Scorman. He's been involved in city politics since the 90s. He's also unaffiliated, ran unsuccessfully in 2011 for mayor. He did not endorse anyone, but says he helped the Mobilade campaign behind the scenes. He said people seek Mobilade as a new kind of leader. It was also that he wasn't a seasoned politician. And I think people are looking for that these days. But he's very charismatic. He's very personable. He has a way about him that I think many people are embracing in terms of let's just get stuff done. But uh, I think that Yemi really uh, has that sort of pragmatic, I'm not going to get caught in a box, but let's think about things a little differently than we have in the past. And we are hearing from a lot of people, uh, whether they're voters or politicians, we're hearing that Mobilati really does have some pretty broad appeal. And Andrea, what you're saying about that broad appeal, I talked to an unaffiliated voter who's relatively new to Colorado Springs, and he said he was turned off in this runoff when Wayne Williams was attacking Mobilati. Those attack ads actually turned this person to an even stronger supporter of Mobilade. I don't like the negative campaigns, I suppose. I just really don't go for that. That really turns me off to see stuff like that. Had enough of it with the Trump era. One thing that I have found interesting is that even though Mobilade is unaffiliated, Democrats have really jumped up to embrace him. Yeah, but also on that personal side, it seems like he checks a lot of boxes for Republicans. His campaign told me he's personally pro-life. He and his wife are gun owners. He's a supporter of the Second Amendment. He's an active Christian. He founded a church. But he didn't make any of these things a part of his campaign. I think some of it came up in in forums he had. I, I would say that his campaign made it clear that he's not interested in bringing those more social issues into the mayor's office. For instance, he wouldn't push policies that are opposed to abortion. But for voters for whom those issues do matter, his views may have helped them feel more comfortable considering him. I mean, especially those conservative voters. 
And, you know, beyond our biographies, I also want to point out that there is a pretty stark personality difference between Wayne Williams and Yemi Mobilade when it comes to how they approach campaigning. I mean, Williams is not the kind of guy who chooses to go knock on doors, but Mobilade's campaign uh, boasted that they knocked around 40,000. And one of the younger voters I talked to said that she thought Mobilade really energized younger voters and all of her friends were kind of talking about the race. And bringing all of this together, because there's so much going on, it seems like four big issues were really driving this mayor's race. You have this bitter split between far-right Republicans and more moderate Republicans. You also have this record from Williams on city council and his perceived support of one developer in particular. And that may have driven away voters just unhappy with how the city is growing. Then there's the fact that Colorado Springs is getting bluer and the city has elected some Democrats in recent years, maybe more of a slower shift than a giant leap, but it's still happening. And then you have this independent candidate who just appealed to a very broad swath of voters across the political spectrum, really, who were looking for something new and different. And so to wrap up, Benta, I mean, you're talking about people who are looking for something different. Maybe we should talk about what what different actually might look like when Mobilade does become mayor. Looking ahead, Andrea, what challenges do you think Yemi Mobilade will face when he takes office? Well, Benta, there are a lot of them. And there are some pretty big ones. I mean, so many people that we talk to are really concerned about growth in the city, the pace of it, growing responsibly, sustainably. Mobilade talks about maintaining the vibrancy of neighborhoods. And hand in hand with all of that is the question of housing affordability. It's a really big issue right now, just as it is across the state. And I heard that from the voters I was talking to. They're very concerned about the price of housing, also worried about homelessness. Quite a few people mentioned that and public safety. Yeah, and one thing to know is that Colorado Springs has a strong mayor form of government, so Mobilati will have a lot of power, really, to set policy. But this is still relatively new for the city. Voters only approved strong mayors in 2010, and he'll be just the third. And one reason people have been describing this election as such a shift is that outgoing mayor John Southers is more like Williams in terms of a politician. They're both former Republican statewide elected officials, and when it comes to their politics, They're sort of traditional. They like to focus more on small government and business rather than social issues. Southers actually endorsed Williams in the race. And one thing that I thought was really interesting is that Josh Dunn, who we heard from before, he thinks that the success and the calmness of the Southers administration may have actually helped Mobilade. The fact that we had had stable administration for eight years, I think liberated some voters to, to, to take a chance on a candidate who doesn't have a lot of experience, did not have a lot of experience in politics. And for what it's worth, it does appear that Mobilade understands that voters are taking a chance on him, and he now needs to get up to speed on things. Here's John Southers. We've got a few more meetings set, uh, and I'm trying to uh, you know, provide him the best information I can to give him the best chance to succeed. Uh, he's got a real learning curve, and I think he understands that. Running a big city is pretty complicated. He's got to surround himself with sophisticated people that know what's involved, and hopefully he'll do that. I'll be curious to see how Mobilade works with people from both sides of the aisle and also unaffiliated voters, because Democrats clearly claimed victory after Mobilade won. Oh, they did, definitely. And I also wonder 
how Republicans will work with him, especially the more conservative mm. Republicans who were very upset at his victory. That's something I asked Sally Clark about. She's the Republican who endorsed him. I look forward to participating in whatever way to make sure that our our next mayor is successful. And I hope that uh, the folks who supported him and maybe even those who didn't will want him to be successful just because that makes our community a success for the future. So, Andrew, to end this episode, what are you personally looking out for in this Mobilati administration? Well, I think it just goes to what we heard from Sally Clark. I mean, how is Mobilati going to work with the people who are already there and how are they going to work with him? I mean, five of nine council members endorsed Wayne Williams. How will all of that fit together? It kind of makes me think of what I heard from a former Republican state lawmaker on election night. She was at the Wayne Williams watch party. She said she's not opposed to Mobilade. She thinks he seems like a nice man. But she worries what happens now that the campaign is over and governing begins. I just hope people don't fall for the um, running the city on love because it takes a lot more than that to be able to negotiate with two sides, both sides of issues. Well, we don't have to wait much longer to see Mobilade is sworn in on June 6th. And after that, who knows? That's it for this episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Benta Brooklyn with my colleague Andrea Chelfin from KRCC. This episode was produced by Shane Rumsey and edited by Megan Verlee. We'll be back in your podcast feed sometime soon. So if you're not already a subscriber, be sure to sign up to make sure you don't miss it. And if you're enjoying Purplish, please recommend us to your friends. This is Purplish from CPR News.